Welcome back everyone to Red Spotlight and Happy New Year. Hi. Hi. Happy New Year, David. How are you doing today? This is the show that brings you everything coming out of the world of movies and more. Um, how did your Happy New Year go? Uh, good. Just family, food, all good. <laughs> and now it's officially 2024, which admittedly has not really... This happens every time we have it, we have it hit a new year. It doesn't really sink in until at least the end of the month. Mm-hmm. It's a, I have to get used to a new year, a new number, <clears throat> and I'm sure I'm going to make that mistake many, many times uh, throughout. But uh, because we're in January now, we're now in the midst, or I should say the beginning of the awards season. There was a, a disgusting film on Twitter. I had a whole uh, schedule released of um, how it's going to be like from January, Mar- uh, February, and March, and it's going to be pretty jam-packed. <clears throat> and of course, we've been doing our best so far to cover as much as we can, and we're going to have a little bit more of that today. But then also as far, because uh, the Golden Globe Awards are going to be airing on, I believe, January 7th, uh, which is the very day that this podcast is going to drop. So we're going to have some predictions and see um, how many we get right, how many we get wrong. We are not going to get right, and mm, maybe uh, some surprises that could happen later on uh, in this season. It could, it could happen right from the very first show, or um, it could go as expected. So we'll see how that goes. And we're also going to discuss some films that we have been seeing uh, throughout these last few weeks. That's going to be today's show on Earth Spotlight number 468. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and get some movies out of the way with, shall we? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just... And these are not going to be very in-depth reviews whatsoever. Um, it's just going to be a little bit of... Uh, you know, informing you guys about what I've been watching and um, how, uh, you know, they are or not. Some films that we hadn't actually got the chance to talk too much about uh, that we missed. The first of which happens to be Cocaine Bear, which I just <laughs> saw yesterday. Um, unfortunately, it's just nowhere near as entertaining as that trailer uh, initially suggested, which is what exactly the reviews had said, So, which mm-hmm. is why we kind of avoided it when it had come out months ago. Um, there were bits and places where it was entertaining, but laughs were few and far in between, and ultimately it, it kind of didn't work uh, at the end of it. But... Um, yeah, it, 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 I think it's far from the worst thing that was released this year. More on that later. Oh. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, it, it, it just, uh, it is disappointing because the premise for what, and as far as the entertainment factor for what this could have been really should have been far more than what it was. So not great. Uh, next was Evil Dead Rise. Uh, now, this past summer, I mentioned that I delved into the Evil Dead franchise, the first, the second, then, of course, the third, which is called Army of Darkness, or I guess Medieval Dead, depending on who we talked to. Um, the Sam Raimi films, which is probably the most unique trilogy I've ever seen, mm. <laughs> uh, just, you know, because. So there happened to have been a new Evil Dead, which is not in the continuity of, I believe, the Raimi movies. It's just its own thing. And I gotta say, uh, it was pretty good. Um, I wouldn't say it's great, but I, as far as like a, a horror movie, um, and by current horror movie standards, which is pretty high, I would say it's pretty good. Um, it's not my favorite of the year, uh, I should say a favorite horror movie of the year, but it is, I think, definitely worth a watch. 
Um, I also saw the Stan Lee documentary on uh, Disney Plus, which in and of itself, I also thought was definitely a treat. I think people um, right now, like myself, have a pretty... Mm, maybe awkward isn't the right way of saying it, but the relationship with Marvel right now isn't at its best (laughs) for a lot of reasons. But you know what I will say? And that's why, you know, I'm sure many people are like a bit, you know, guarded about whether or not they actually want to watch documentary that kind of celebrates it. Well, it doesn't necessarily really do that because I feel like, oh, it's released on Disney Plus. It's going to, you know talk a lot about the MCU and the, that's the last five minutes. Um, this is really delving into who this man was and literally like the, the things you want to know more about, like how did he get started? Where did he come from? Where did he get these ideas from? Like the comics, the heyday of the comics that he was a part of. And I shared some clips with you guys <clears throat> on the chat, mm-hmm. which uh, I, th- I felt were, you know, literally uh, quite literally very fascinating. And I think to me, one of the takeaways that I had um, from those clips that I sent uh, was how funny it is that um, it it's so easily squatted or squashed. This idea of like um, woke is bad and you should never <laughs> delve into doing anything like that. And I think to me, uh, no one said it better than him i think stanley himself i'm going to play you real real quick from this clip uh when he talks about including different kinds of characters and i think he was talking about in the in the context of when he created a uh, black panther how can you have stories that are supposed to take place in today's world and not include all the types of people we have in the types of situations <laughs> I don't think anything else needs to be said. Yeah. That's that's just the perfect answer, right? Mm-hmm. How are you going to tell a story in 2024 and not include all the people that exist? So, but it's definitely worth a watch. I thought it was a really cool documentary. I also saw two of Wes Anderson's short films on um, Netflix. They were adaptations of um, Roald Dahl. Um I don't know what it is lately, but like, um, it's really hard to get into Wes Anderson's recent stuff without you wanting to bash your head against the wall. Um, the the Rat Catcher, which is according to review, is supposed to be the most popular one of them all. Um, I just was like, literally, like every second, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Like, there's just this thing that I guess. It's very Wes Anderson. Did not care for them whatsoever, but I'm, but that I'm evidently I'm in the minority because these were really liked on Netflix. Um, the next thing was a horror film, um, Hulu, uh, which is from Searchlight Pictures. This is called No One Will See You. Um, I think to me, what I was not expecting uh, was this. Basically, is a silent movie. It's not because there's there's obviously sound effects. This deals with an alien invasion of sorts. So you hear what they sound like. You hear noises. Sound is very much in the picture. But I guess mm, what I was stunned 
was that there was only one line of dialogue mm. in the whole movie. I was not expecting that. And right. it took me, it took me like a good, like five to 10 minutes when I realized, are they just not going to talk <laughs> for this whole movie? Um, and you know what? I don't think they, they needed to. I think I was far more taken with the idea that this worked so well without there needing to be um, any kind of spoken word. Like everything that you needed to get was conveyed perfectly through the performance of uh, Caitlin Deaver, who um, I think most is known for her work in Booksmart, um, starring alongside Beanie Fieldstein. Uh, she carried this movie. Um, and I thought that the horror aspect of it was brilliant. I was definitely horrified in in the moments that I needed to be. Um, it kept on edge. Um, there was a point where I had to like stand up and watch it because I just couldn't take it, uh, how anxious it was making me. Um, and then there is an ending that happens in this movie. And I don't know what happened with all the movies that were released in 2023, but there definitely seemed to be a theme. And the theme was bold endings. And you're not going to see it coming. And what happens is kind of hilarious and beautiful at the same time. Um, and it's not something that I kind of quite got around until I was giving it just a bit more thought. But uh, I thought it was a pretty interesting ending for considering all the carnage that happens throughout the movie. Um, so this one is definitely worth a watch. And then also I would, I, when, whenever David sees this one, we should bring this one back up for conversation. Um, the next one was Nimona on Netflix. Uh, very strong, strong film, strong, particularly a strong animated movie. And I, um, would be very surprised if, uh, we got around to Oscar nominations morning and this was left off the list, mm. um, for animated feature. Because uh, from what I understand, this was a movie that was being uh, produced at Blue Sky, the former or the now defunct Blue Sky Animation Studio, which ended up going under because Disney shut it down when they acquired 20th Century Fox. And this film uh, was one of the things that was, I think, uh, one of the reasons for why I think Disney just shut down Blue Sky was because they were very, very scared maybe the most accurate way of saying it, but maybe against the more LGBTQ elements of this story. They were not comfortable with how overt um, they were kind of making those themes to be front and center. And yeah, it, it, there were, the, evidently I looked through some tweets back in 2021. It, people were very angry. Mm -hmm. And there was a point where this was not going to see the light of day, but evidently Netflix came to the rescue or I, I, some or Annapurna, I should say Annapurna Animation, uh, came to the rescue, and uh, I'm so glad that it did because I just thought that this was uh, delightful, yeah, uh, and kind of what I want out of an animated movie. And I think to me, um, this was kind of amazing in the sense of how unapologetic it was in its efforts to bring representation toward the forefront and again it's just one of those films that really just goes against the whole anti-woke mobs thing like you can't make that work you can't make good movies when you prioritize that kind of representation well shows what you know did you see this movie mm -hmm. because they made that work and i don't think it was ever ever addressed in the movie that because the central relationship in nimona happens to be a same-sex relationship yeah and there were two guys. Mm -hmm. 
And that's rare because it's usually it's just two girls. And <laughs> that's mostly how it is yeah. in animation, mind you. And it's always like in secret too. Like nobody knows about it. And it's only like nobody knows about it because they're, you know, they don't want to like make the main character see like he's getting favor from his boyfriend basically because the boyfriend's like a prince or something. I can't remember. Um, right. But in this one though, it's not secret because they're gay. It's a secret because of like, basically the main character is like bottom of the, um, how do you call it? Like the main character comes from, uh, the poorest amongst yeah. their, uh, I guess their, um, their caste system, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. They have royalty. Um, and uh, he's not of royalty. He's also not of the higher elites. He he ends up being picked by the queen um, for some ulterior motive that's revealed in the movie. <clears throat> but yeah, that's the central relationship. It shows you off the bat. And at no point throughout the film is that questioned. It's just accepted as it is, mm-hmm. as it should be, um, which is ultimately the point of all of this. Um, and I thought it was handled beautifully. And it's just like, well, this would not have happened if Disney were in charge of this movie still. Mm-hmm. Uh, which only reminds you that Disney should not be in charge of everything. Because, <laughs> and that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask you though, people had a problem with the ending. Um, I can't say I minded it too much, really. I, just, uh, I guess it was the very, I don't want to spoil it, but something happens in the end of the movie where I think the argument that some people would have is that it, it undoes a big moment. Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, it didn't bother me ultimately, but I can understand why some people would be bothered by it. Yeah, same. I, I didn't mind the ending. I found, I laughed at the ending, like the very last second of it. I thought it was hilarious. Um, but um, overall, though, I don't, I don't really mind it much, especially because I don't think we're going to get a second one. Not because mm-hmm. of like, the views of it or anything i think it was just this is the ending of the story and so you can kind of leave it for yourself you know like eh, i'd rather have this ending than this ending you know yeah um i also saw another movie um this was called um this is are you there god it's me margaret mm. this is very much like a, a teen movie um but not 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 the kind of teen movie you're thinking of um this happens to star um abby Ryder fortston who played cassie lang in the first two ant-man movies mm. um and this also stars rachel mcadams and kathy bates and benny softy um and this deals with the 1970s um new york family they go out to the suburbs and this it it kind of reminds me a lot of movies like the edge of 17 or eighth grade it's a lot of, you know, a, a journey of self-discovery to be, I think, a 12-year-old girl um, in sixth grade. So it, 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 it's, it's a whole vibe. And I think what kind of made the film remarkable was how it was um, handling religion. Because one of the ways that the girl goes on, on the journey here is that she tries different religions. She goes to Jew, a Jewish temple, Catholicism, Christianity... Um, and then others, I believe. And so it, it, it's central to, I guess, the conflict of what's happening in the film because religion kind of uh, was wedging people apart 
Um, because, uh, the central, her family is of mixed religion. Her mother is Christian and her father is Jewish. And that evidently that caused problems with other members of the family. So, <laughs> but it is a very interesting watch and it's a very good movie. Uh, the next one I saw was the Pope's exorcist, which is a film that we talked about months and months ago when you and Alexis had seen it. So remind me, um, what was your guys's, um, reaction to the pope's exorcist because i thought it was a lot of fun that's honestly a, that was those were exactly my words it's <laughs> it's just so much fun oh my gosh i literally said that it just reminded me of a superhero movie right <laughs> like but there's no like big you know big battle or anything like that but it was just so much fun it's kind of ridiculous in a way but there's still good characters in this movie there's still a good so, Pretty good suspense and scary stuff, horror stuff going on and all that. But I mean, overall, though, it's just fun. Good of fun. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, yeah, the horror stuff is not the best, but it's really good for what it is. You mm-hmm. know, in, in the, in the, when you're doing an Exorcist film in 2023, 2024, like what, what, what new are you really going to add that we haven't already seen, you know? So it's like, I understand on that level. It's not, but the idea of like having Russell Crowe play this kind of like superhero priest was just like the funniest thing. And yet it worked. Mm -hmm. And I just, I bought every line. I believed him. Like, and he wasn't phoning it in. Like he was (laughs) committing to this performance. Yeah. And I guess the only way Russell Crowe could, but, um, it was very entertaining. Um, and that's, I, I don't, well, can't say I was like horrified, uh, at the horror too much but I, I i just think like this this film is really here to be of a different flavor um and then did they set up a sequel at the end is that i don't know which is i i you know usually when movies do that i'm like like the marvels where i'm like stop doing that and on principle just as a side note movies should stop doing that they need to stop devoting time in their in their films to set up sequels because but here though <laughs> I, this I disagree <laughs> I I love it when it, uh, movies end it like that it's just I just like the whole idea of like on to the next adventure type of thing I really like that so okay to me it's always and this one was so much fun because again it was like a superhero you know I, I can't I wish I can remember the last line but it was something like you know, like, like, let's get them back to hell or something like that. I don't know what the line was, but like, it was basically just something like that. And it's just so fun. And so, and I mean, you I know, just, you, you never know. Someone, some people might actually be excited. I mean, I, I remember that this wasn't like an ending. This wasn't a setup at, no, it was at the very end. I can't remember. Fuck. Transformers? Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. That was the post-credit scene, I believe. You said it was a G.I. Joe tease or something. Yeah, basically. Yeah, but I think it was an after-credit scene, so it doesn't necessarily count but i would have loved it they did it like the very end and yeah basically at the end of transformers rise of the beast um you know the main character is going to some secret base but you're thinking it's sector seven from the first transformers movie but he gets the card and he flips it it's gi joe and i was just like holy shit like i'm not even that big of a gi joe fan but i was still like holy shit (laughs) yeah i i i get it like i'm not saying that they're not they can't be done well. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that when I think to me, it's one of the reasons why a lot of blockbusters are not doing great is that's one of the reasons that's one of the ways they can all feel the same mm-hmm. among many others for sure. 
That's what I was saying there because um, did because let me uh, uh, let's just go back to the Wonka movie. Did you interpret that ending as them setting up a sequel? Because there was this high-profile personality on uh, YouTube, Twitter, uh, film. You know who I'm talking about. And this person was speculating about, not really speculating, but she was just like, oh yeah, let's do a Wonka sequel. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. sure that's what they were aiming for. Mm-hmm. I don't think who, that, that wouldn't work. This is a one and done. This is not, so that, that's why I, I get like, I get a little annoyed when a lot of movies do those endings because then it invites this kind of, question to films that very clearly are not setting up anything but then lo and behold because we're so used to having endings being spent to set up the next thing then we get nonsense like that that's why i bring that up other things so i ended up seeing what turns out to be the final um wonderful world of mickey mouse short the steamboat silly um and this featured all of them and it ended up just being a nostalgia trip. Hmm. Mickey wanted to see all of his old films, starting with Steamboat Willie. They break out of the film and they kind of terrorize the city. <laughs> and to me, if I didn't know any better, it really did feel like the team were like taking some pretty big slights at Disney because, I mean, what else can represent Disney than today than nostalgia run amok? wreaking havoc and destroying civilization <laughs> and there even i think at the end Minnie says to mickey like you know nostalgia is fun or something like that. i'm paraphrasing but it can be you know it ain't the best thing in the world all the time which is just pretty funny that this is coming out of the house of mouse yeah uh so but it, it it's a great animated movie Short, short film, I should say, mm. uh, Disney Plus. I also took a ch- uh, just because it was already there. I was what they did a a Halloween special with them. Um, they go to this witch's house and they all get turned into the Halloween costumes they're wearing. It's kind of, I don't know if it is, but it's made to look like stop motion animation. Um, it's on Disney Plus, and I'd never seen Mickey and Friends in stop motion, so that's a pretty interesting choice. Um, but I thought it was really entertaining. Definitely something to put on um, <clears throat> to the younger kids during the Halloween season. Um, I also saw another short, uh, Carl's Date on Disney Plus. Again, <laughs> you guys saw this in theaters. Yep, they showed. Tell it. me about. Tell me about that. No, yeah, I, I can I think Ali didn't know about this short, but I did for sure. Going into the movie, we saw it during Elemental, and uh, uh-huh. I mean, I knew the concept of it, of it already. And I was just waiting for the gut punch moment pretty much the entire time. But Ale, though, she was the one that was, like, bawling, <laughs> crying so much during that short. And, I mean, it's understandable why. I mean, um, what's the main guy? Um, Ed Asner. Ed, that, that's, that's, that, or, or the character, Carl Fredrickson. Yeah, Carl. Um, it was just so nice seeing him, how nervous he was for his date <laughs> and everything. And I was expecting for, like, a twist. Like, I thought when the date was going to happen the the lady he asked out met like dog date or like uh, you know it's their dogs they're gonna to oh, hang out okay. I, thought, I was waiting for that twist but like and they kept going and going it's like oh no he's like actually going to see this woman <laughs> and so yeah that was an emotional gut punch but also yeah i totally forgot too um that was um uh 
Ed, Ed Asner? Is that what he said? Yeah. Um, that was his last, like... Well, I, I, I evident, either it was his or one of his last lines that he recorded for it, but also, I mean, the way that it ends, mm-hmm. pretty... Um, <clears throat> Fitting, if that's exactly what was the last couple of words he recorded mm-hmm. as as Carl. Um, yeah, pretty big gut punch, I would say, uh, at the end of it. But uh, yeah, I also saw on Hulu this movie called Theater Camp. Um, this is a movie about a theater camp. <laughs> these high school kids middle age uh, middle school kids go to this camp and you know they're doing camp things they're doing drama they're singing in plays and musicals and meanwhile and it starts off in the most hilarious fashion the person who's in charge has a seizure she's in a coma for the whole movie and her idiot son has to take over mm. and it's a shit show <laughs> so there is your hook it's up to you if you want to go take it but it's actually pretty entertaining uh her idiot son who has no background in in theater he's one of those bro youtube vloggers who's just like and no one likes him so there's that um oh, i saw so much um i'll wrap up with well, this is actually a whole... We'll save this one because we can talk about this more so. Um, Iron Claw. Great film. Mm-hmm. Great performances. Maybe the hardest movie to watch all year long. If you're not aware of, as I was not, this film deals with perpetual tragedy. Um, it is hard to sit through. And it is one of the most depressing films I've ever seen. You walk out of it and you're like, fuck. Yeah, but it's great. And Zac Efron gives his best performance. And like I was telling Peter, because he also was a bit befuddled at the idea that he was not being included uh, as one of the potential nominees at this award season, considering that Iron Claw is supposed to be an award season movie. And I'm just, it's just one of those things that if you come out in December, you kind of missed the boat. You kind of missed the boat mm-hmm. at that point. And you have no, you got no one to blame but A24. And A24 has other priorities that look like they got Zone of Interest and they got Past Lives, uh, which have been getting nominated. And Iron Claw really hasn't mm-hmm. been getting in anywhere. Which is strange, because if anything, Zac Efron should be included for Best Actor. I would, I'll tell you this. Oh, you just reminded me of another movie I saw. <laughs> I forgot to mention this. Um, which should tell you how I felt about it if I, if I, got, I watched it in the first place. But I would think that Zac Efron in Iron Claw definitely is more worthy of a nomination. Which, you gotta keep in mind, guys. This is a word season, so the more worthy you are, the more likely you are of being excluded. So that's not that's not really great, but he's more worthy of being in that category than Bradley Cooper is for Maestro. <laughs> and not that Bradley Cooper was bad. Mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper was great because he's always great, mm-hmm. as he is in Maestro. 
But if we're talking about which was the performance that will, I, I would say, stay with you more, it would definitely be Efron. And then, and Iron Claw has a great ensemble, but it is just riddled with tragedy, and it's a hard watch. But it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Going from that to Maestro. Maestro should be commended, and Bradley Cooper should be commended, if nothing else, for attempting to do a biopic by not making a biopic. Kind of in the same way that Oppenheimer operated, right? Because it is a biopic, but it's not really. Not in terms of how it was structured. Um, However, despite the strong performances and despite the craft that's on display, which is very easily some of the best made stuff that came out all from all of last year. Uh, how we spoke about this from some of the reactions that we were reading from last week, I think ultimately is where I landed with it. It, it ended up just kind of being empty all in the end. And it's the worst kind of empty because I think it was going for some really deep and insightful thought-provoking stuff here. And I don't really think it ended up in that place. I think it ended up more of like, well, the performances were great, but I don't really understand what you were trying to say. And the more I'm thinking about it, the more it kind of feels like you think you were saying a lot, but you didn't really say much of anything. So, um, it seems to me that Maestro is the weakest link this awards season. And I was so looking forward to the idea of there being an award season with not one of those movies being included. And it seems like we were wrong about that um, because it has been getting in everywhere. Whereas Iron Claw should very much take its place. Color Purple should very much take its place. And, and speaking on that, I did see that also. And I have noticed that people have some interesting takes on it. I, I've seen that some people were, in fact, very critical of it. But I would say that to me, um, it, I thought it ended up working really well as a musical, even if you know not all of the numbers were as memorable. I will say that this one uh, did have two numbers included where I'm like, was that really necessary, especially if they were that short? But on the whole, I did like the music. I did love the performances. I think that the direction was really good, all things considered. Um especially because you're kind of living up to Steven Spielberg's version of it from 1985. Um, It's the same story, but there are notable slight differences in what they do with characterization. Um, Subtle things, not overt things. Um, There's more of a gentler, not gentler, that's the wrong approach, but there's there's just more nuance, I just should say here. And I think this is a version of of the story that might end up pleasing Alice Walker, who was the author of the book, a little bit more than Spielberg's because there was a choice that was made with with the villain of the story um, that she ultimately had in her book, but didn't ultimately get with the Spielberg version of it. Um, I, I guess to me, I can understand why The Color Purple hasn't been doing well in that I think it's great. I loved it. Uh, I think Taraji P. Henson, Daniel Brooks, and Fantasia, Fantasia Barrino are worthy of nominations. Um, particularly, I think Taraji kind of gave the performance of her career, and she should be included, and she has yet to be included in a single nomination anywhere, which I find befuddling. Um, 
But I'm thinking it's a combination of two things. This was the last movie that came out. A lot of these voters didn't see it. And even if they were screened, they didn't get it. And then um, it seems to me that from this crowd anyway, it just wasn't that well received. And so it, it seems like uh, the Color Purple's chances are not going to be that good after all, uh, which is a shame because I, I do think that um, anyway, the performances should be honored, um, but it looks like they're, they're going to be ignored, um, which is really sad. So um, last one I'll, I'll say for me and we can share some thoughts because you saw this one as well. Rebel Moon. Yeah. <laughs> I I saw this because I um just was like what the hell? I'll just throw it on. I'll um maybe I'll pay attention to it, maybe I won't. But I put it on after you and Peter saw it and I I mean I was just like was I surprised? No. This is exactly the movie that I ended up I thought I would end up with because mm-hmm. Zack Snyder's recent work, I'll just say it, has been some of the most incoherent content made. And this is no exception. In fact, there's a reasonable argument to be made. This might be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, to me, this, was, this wasn't even a movie. I felt like I was watching, you know, gameplay. I felt like I was just watching a video game, but without any of the nuance, any of the intrigue, I mean, it's pretty funny to me how this is supposed to be his version of Star Wars. And it's pretty funnier that he he somehow pitched this to Lucasfilm as if they would ever go for something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel bad for a lot of the people in this movie because I feel like they're only in this movie because their careers have kind of gone nowhere. Sophia Batella, Ed Screen, um, Jenna Malone. These are people who should, in theory, deserve better. And yet, even Ray Fisher, he's in this. Even though I guess he was one of the better performances, I guess, supposedly from what I'm reading. Um, Yeah, this was pretty um, abysmal. Um, I'll say I didn't have the worst time in the world watching it, but it very easily is the worst movie of the year. David. No, uh, yeah, it was just boring, uh, really. Yeah, and then when <laughs> yeah. you, you you said that you felt like you were watching gameplay, it's more so like you're watching the cutscene in between the gameplay, but you're getting mm. no context of everything in between. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm so used to. But here's the thing, I'm so used to Zack Snyder films giving me no context i guess i got used to it <laughs> which is so it's a sad thing to say but like he he ain't the kind of guy that fills in the gaps for you like mm-hmm. he leaves them wide open and he leaves the audience with no way of being able to gain or, or being able to tell what the hell is going on or why we should care mm-hmm. which are two important things to get to really interact with a movie yeah especially the we don't know if we should care part of it is what like makes this movie so bad like you see that one guy with the griffin scene and like you know oh, yeah <laughs> you know the way he shoots it like I, I won't you know i won't lie like he is a good director what i mean by that is like he knows how to like frame a shot he knows how to like make it look visually nice some parts i saw some videos and 
there were some moments though that was pretty bad, um, which is weird. But like he knows how to like make something look interesting. Mm-hmm. But again, there's no context to that. Like the part with the Griffin, you know, he's kind of like, ah, oh, let's show them that we're more than just our like chains and everything or something like that. <laughs> but it's like I feel like I should have probably been emotional in that scene, but I don't really care for this character. I don't really care for the Griffin. And at the end of it, it's just done. <laughs> like, we just gotta move past that now. <laughs> I don't know. It felt like he was... More though, more so than anything, he felt like he was trying to write a show, but he never got that. And But maybe we'll get more in this four-hour cut. One thing that I'll say is somewhat impressive was that apparently he made both Rebel 1... Rebel Moon 1 and 2... For a pretty modest budget, mm-hmm. which is, I would say, considering that one of the, the themes of this year in film has been these uh, exploding budgets, that's something to, you know, compliment, uh, I would say. That it ended up looking, visual effects-wise, pretty good. All the while, of course, I'm not sure there was anything resembling his usual visual flair in this movie it, it it definitely wasn't as flashy as i feel it it should have been honestly considering this is the director of 300 mm-hmm. and yet i don't think there was a single moment in this movie that came anywhere close to just visually wowing me and then in some areas it just ended up looking kind of generic at the same time too considering that this is Zack snyder it looking generic it's really bad um. Yeah, I. There's and there's also just things that happen in the background that you kind of, I, I guess, are set up, but they kind of go nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, none of it's really all that interesting. So it's pretty failure of a movie. Um. Peter said that uh, this was. Zack Snyder's ugliest looking movie. He said this was uh, probably his worst movie. (laughs) Um, And he said that it not only was the worst movie of the year, but that it made him, it was so bad it made him miss BVS. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Uh, And his theory was that this whole... Snyder Cut fan base has kind of gotten to his head. I can believe that. At the moment, I can't. I, can't, I wish I can remember the, what he said, said exactly. But basically, during that time of the whole um, um, Snyder Cut business going on, and I think we even like we all noticed that that he was definitely taking advantage of like the Snyder fans, yeah. like that he just wanted to get whatever he wanted, like and he he was yeah. going to use the fans to do that, like that was the. I wish I can tell you like the exact moment of what it was he said exactly, but it just really bothered me that hey, that's how he was trying what he was trying to do that when he was trying to do that, and so yeah, for sure this whole thing just got into his head. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I guess Netflix seems to be happy with him. Mm, I guess he'll just be a Netflix only director from now on. Maybe we'll see. <clears throat> anyway, what are the films that you you saw? Um, if you want to see a better sci-fi movie, um, right here. The Creator. The Creator. The Creator is much better. <laughs> yeah. It, it's practically a masterpiece compared to Rebel Moon. <laughs> like, 
I mean, no, but for real though, I actually really enjoyed this movie. Um, I like the concept of it. I re- I love the visuals. Like this was just a visually interesting movie and all that. And I I like the main characters, the whole father daughter relationship mm. uh, going on and everything. I mean, it's just it's a really fun sci fi movie. Um, definitely just watch it just because like it's something original, something nice, and I think it, I, I think it does some just does deserve a spotlight. I mean, kind of I, I, I want to see a Gareth Edwards movie with somebody else writing the script because I mm. feel like I want more out of I want it more out of the creator. Ultimately, is why I kind of was unsatisfied by mm-hmm. it. Not that I was bored, but I think there were one of the things that I thought was pretty funny. And oh, it's just maybe that's not even the right word. I think it was just poor timing. Um, it felt very tone deaf mm. because of how much this movie came to the defense of AI, all at the time that everybody was on strike because AI and the threat that it had over this whole industry. Mm-hmm. So I just think it came out at the worst time because. When you have that in your mind and you watch this movie and it's going so far out of its way to defend AI, you're like, what? Mm-hmm. This thing is threatening us. So it's like it that did not make for the best feeling experience because you're just like, what are you saying here? Yeah. Are you, cause are you, but that's kind of the key thing is Gareth Edwards, from what I understand, doesn't ever really say much of anything with the movies because they're not really made to be that way. With this and Rogue One and with the Godzilla 2015 movie, it's just the similar complaints that I've hear I've heard from everybody. Um, and I just think like with a lot of other directors, like Zack Snyder, like J.J. Abrams, um, stop writing your own shit and get some people who are actual writers mm-hmm. and then just direct those scripts. Or at least, like, get someone who can, like, look at it and just give him credit to, you or know. Or find your own collaborator, like, like yeah. what Tom Cruise did with Christopher McQuarrie, mm-hmm. uh, with Top Gun and with the Mission Impossible movies. like, Or or how Emma Stone has found a collaborator in Yorgos Lanthimos from The Favorite to Poor Things. Like, there's just, you got to stop writing your own scripts, mm-hmm. especially because the results continuously end up being not the best. Yeah. This is not a bad movie by any means. No, yeah. It was entertaining. And and, and the visuals are like, for $80 million? <laughs> fucking incredible. Yeah. And definitely worthy of a nomination for visual effects. Very, very worthy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if anything, Edwards has things going for him that make him very attractive for future projects. I just think he needs to stop writing his own stuff. Mm-hmm. He didn't write Andor? No. Oh. Well, he was not involved in Andor. That was Tony Gilroy. Tony Gilroy was the person who basically came in to fix, quote-unquote, Rogue One. Oh, come okay, on. Uh, remember, Gareth Edwards initially directed Rogue One. There were a lot of problems internally. Tony Gilroy was the person they came to reshoot and rewrite and then Tony Gilroy was the one that ended up basically doing Andor okay I bet Gareth Mm -hmm. was not involved at all in in Andor Mm -hmm. and it shows quite frankly (laughs) Um, Um, yeah go ahead the other movie I saw was called Robots this one's a Mm. 
basically a comedy. This one's just like I saw Creator on Hulu, and then I went down to recommend it to see if there was anything else. I thought maybe it would show something from this year, mm-hmm. and well, and it did. Robots came out this year, and it's basically a comedy uh, where people use AI robots basically to do just all their chores, taking like taking, collecting trash, some cleanup stuff, and all that. Um, and the thing though is that it is illegal to make a copy of yourself basically into a robot and have them do like your stuff basically like if you have to work at a nine to five you can't take your robot there and all that so the two main characters they did that (laughs) but the main guy he uses his robot to get dates with girls and then he switches with his robot as soon as the girls want to have sex with them (laughs) yeah and then the main girl she goes on dates with rich dudes buys like you know gets sent to buy her stuff basically she's a gold digger and then she switches with her robot whenever the guys want to have sex with her. <laughs> and so both of their robots met. They fell in love. And now they were trying to run away to Mexico because Mexico AI robots have, you know, basically they have human rights and all that. And so now it's just a race <laughs> to try to get the robots back before they either get arrested or they before they make it to the border because they don't want to lose their robots. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you know, I just, had not heard of this movie before. Uh, yeah, no, like I said, it's just popped out randomly on Hulu, so I didn't know about it. But like, it was pretty entertaining. Um, I really just like the main characters. They grew throughout this movie from become f- coming from assholes to trying to become fairly good people. <laughs> uh, um, and so yeah, it was pretty entertaining. So okay. Um, before we go on to, um, the awards stuff, we didn't really, and then we ended 2023, but, um, since we have this time, do you have some clear favorites from last year or a favorite, a favorite, or, or a couple, you could say like, you can name like two or three movies from last year that you thought were your favorites. I mean, Spider-Verse. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's for sure. Uh, sure, everybody's do got to look at it. Wow. <laughs> I would say that for me, my favorites uh, of last year were Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. um, Killers of the Flower Moon, and The Boy and the Heron. So far, that's what, what my top three. And I also give out mentions to um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Past Lives, and Oppenheimer. Mm. Yeah, Spider Rush for me. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, oh, third one's kind of hard. You don't have to. Yeah, that that's good enough because this is not an official top ten show. Which I should also uh, mention that um that for us doesn't come until after the <laughs> Academy Awards have aired. Yeah. So we still got. For us, we need it because we don't. <laughs> we're just people, guys. So we we have to take our own time to watch all of these freaking movies. Um, these last this last week and a half, I've been like on a marathon trying to like get as many of them out of the way as possible mm-hmm. because I'm not gonna have that much time. Um, once work starts back up again, so, um, but usually because we like to see as much as we can. We don't do our top 10 show um, at the end of the year. We do it at the end of the season, which is after the Oscars have aired. 
So that's when, and David will be on this year. Um, so that'll be a difference uh, in how we do things. Um, and then will anybody else be able to make it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see because everybody's schedules are so out of sync, but um, we'll see. Okay. Um, I want to get to these um, these Golden Globe predictions, okay? Um, and then we'll wrap up for today. We're not gonna to uh, we're not gonna do too long of a show for today. Um, so um, this is an interesting situation because we can't really rely too much on how things have gone in the past because they've changed from a ninety member body to an over three hundred member body. Some big sweeping changes were made. As a reminder, you can watch it well today which is when this podcast drops January 7th on CBS or Paramount plus. Um, and here are the categories. I'm only going to talk about the film categories because quite frankly, I couldn't be bothered about the TV stuff. I don't care <laughs> about the TV stuff. Uh, that's somebody else's business. Um, I'm going to start off with the, uh, the category that everybody loves to dunk on uh, cinematic and box office achievement. <laughs> Mm. As a reminder, the nominees were Barbie, Gardens of the Galaxy Volume 3, John Wick Chapter 4, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, Oppenheimer, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, the Super Mario Brothers movie, and Taylor Swift The Heiress Tour. David, if you were handing out this prize, who would you give it to? Yeah, Barbie. I mean, <laughs> just, yeah. I just don't think it's going to get any other awards. <laughs> so, I mean, it's very clear to us that that's the reason why they made that category. So Yeah. I thought it was clear to me, and a lot of the awards podcasts that I've been listening to feel kind of strongly that Barbie might end up winning some bigger awards down the line, even in just this telecast, and I'm not so sure about that. To me, I thought it was pretty blatant that the only reason this exists was that they can have an excuse to give Barbie something, mm-hmm. um, which is why I think that's my prediction. I think Barbie's going to take this in a easily. It's going to walk away with this, because I don't... Um, I mean... It may win elsewhere, but I don't... Let me, let me just check. I, I only have it winning one other thing. I only have it winning here for box office. I don't have it winning for Best Picture Comedy. I don't have it winning for Ryan Gosling or for Margot Robbie um, or director. So it just seems to me like if you're going to give Barbie anything, this is the place you're going to give it to. Um, some people were saying that, oh yeah, they're going to give the Taylor Swift. And I'm like... They've had plenty of chances to give Taylor an award in the past. They never have. Mm-hmm. There's no point to do it now. It would be pretty... And also, this is the thing. The Golden Globe of the past might have done this, but there's been significant changes. There's much more of an international component to them. I feel like they got more critics to actually be in as a group now than just journalists. So I'm going to say that's not going to happen. <laughs> Um, I mean, this is the body that gave Bohemian Rhapsody Best Picture years ago. But things have changed, so we'll see how much they have. If not, well, we'll find out pretty sure. Um, Okay, the next category I want to get to is for um, Best Picture. This is how they they call it, because some groups call it foreign language. Some groups call it international film. They're calling it best picture non-English language, even though there is English in some of these movies. Anatomy of a Fall, which features English, but also features a different language. Um, Fallen Leaves, um, Io Capitano, Past Lives, Society of the Snow, and The Zone of Interest. Um, Anatomy of a Fall may win here, 
but I'm going to predict uh, a winner who will not be nominated elsewhere because this film um, I don't believe is eligible for by the Oscar rules for international movie past lives. I'm going to give it to, even though honestly it, the more appropriate winner would be because past lives is America. So mm-hmm. it's, it's American made. So it's not going to be eligible for international movie. And I think ultimately if you're thinking about what's going to win the Oscar, it's either going to be anatomy of a fall or the zone of interest. But for here, why do I think past lives will win? Because past lives got in, in a bunch of other places. It got in for screenplay, it got in for best actress, and it also got in for best director. Mm. Which Anatomy of a Fall and Zone of Interest did not. So be just going off on the strength of past lives, and if past lives is going to win anything, it might be here. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm going to go with past lives. Um, I have not seen Zone of Interest yet. I gather many people haven't seen that movie yet because it's playing nowhere. Mm. But I have seen Anatomy of a Fall, and if it ended up winning, that would also be an amazing winner. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I I'd also should, I also, I don't know why I'm, I'm mixing up my words today. I'm sorry, guys. Should, should. I also should add that there are plenty of other movies that are not even mentioned here uh, that should be um, and probably won't be um, like Godzilla Minus One or Boy and the Heron. Very much international movies, but we're not nominated here. Um, also perfect days from Japan was not nominated here at all. Okay. So that's, um, past lives. I predict will go for the non-English language category. Okay. The next one here, David, this one might be the most anxiety ridden category because I think to me more than any other category, this might be a coin toss. You just flip a coin and see who wins animated feature. <laughs> the nominees wish that's not winning. No. <laughs> Suzume. Haven't seen it. I am going to see it. Have not. Uh, that's not winning. I've heard good things. I've heard good things too. Uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. That's not no. winning. <laughs> Elemental. No. That's also not winning. This is down between, down to The Boy and the Heron and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And honestly, I... I, who knows, right? Because and I and I just said that these two movies were two of my favorite of the whole year. Mm-hmm. Like to me, they're literally side by side. They're very different movies. They go for very different things. Um, it is harder, I would say, for sequels to win in an, in the animated category. The only. Only exception ever seems to be Toy Story. Toy Story, I think, is the only... like With Toy Story 3 and Toy Story 4, they've both won usually over others, but sequels have a hard time winning. Um, except, I think, um, in 2015, The Globes, because I guess Lego Movie was that one thing nobody wanted to touch, they, instead of giving Lego Movie the, the prize for Best Animated Movie... They ended up giving it to another film that I would say was pretty worthy of a win. The second movie, I think it was called um, How to Train Your Dragon 2, right? Hmm. So they won here. So there's that precedent. But usually it's tough 
for sequels to win, especially when the first installment already won before. So that's one thing that you could say is against Spider-Verse. On the other hand, I think Spider-Verse has been winning more critics prizes and Spider-Verse has been appearing in more best picture um, nominees than Boy and the Heron. But Boy and the Heron has also been winning its fair share of critics prizes for animated feature. It's been popping up in a few best picture lists. Um, but I, I, I would say this. I think to me, what's going in my head, I think what gives Boy and the Heron an edge, aside from the whole Miyazaki thing, because of course this may be his final movie, who knows, but he came out of retirement for it. It's, but, but I'm thinking, if you look at the nominees, what struck everybody was how well Past Lives did, how well Anatomy of a Fall did, and how well The Zone of Interest did. There were even other movies like Fallen Leaves got in. Um, in other categories. If you go with that idea that this body is much more of an international component, would it then not be reasonable that Boy and the Heron might have an edge? And also keep in mind, um, both Spider-Verse and Boy and the Heron were not only, got nominations outside of this category because they both were nominated for Best Original Score. So if you're looking for like what got more nominations over the other, um, they both got the equal amount of nominations. So that's why I'm saying it's kind of a coin flip. Um, I'm going to lean Boy and the Heron, even though I think like everybody seems to be of the mind that um, Spider-Verse is the front runner to win the Oscar ultimately. But again, the Oscars themselves have a hard time um, giving it to animated sequels. I'm of two minds, David. I feel like, um, I think the boy in the heron is maybe being a little bit underestimated, but at the same time, I can't really be so sure about that. What do you think? Um, I think at the end, I might go for boy in the heron just because for a time, I think, uh, Miyazaki said this was going to be his last movie. I think he just, Announced that it, that it isn't now or something. It's not. Yeah, he's working on the next one. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, there was some anticipation for this, and I feel like they're gonna pay attention to that, and so they're probably gonna nominate it for that because, I mean, has any other Miyazaki movie been nominated before? Yes. Um, I I can't recall. I don't know how long they've been doing an animated feature for the Golden Globes. Um, but. They're not his movies are not the most awarded. He has an honorary Oscar. This is a different body, obviously. And Spirited Away was the only one of his to win um animated feature at the Academy Awards. Mm. Um I don't know how awarded or not Miyazaki is in, in, in by this group, but um I don't know. I guess um we'll have to we'll have to see how this goes. Um but I, I I'll say right now, Boy and the Heron. But only just barely. And this is to me the one that's like a coin flip. Um, the next category I'm going to go with is um, Best Original Song. This one seems pretty easy, right? Um, <clears throat> the, the nominee is Addicted to Romance from the movie She Came to Me. That's not going to win. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dance the Night, Barbie. Uh, I'm Just Ken, Barbie. Peaches, the Super Mario Brothers movie. That's not winning. Goodbye. The Road to Freedom by Rustin. That's not happening. And then what was I made for? 
what was I made for? Yeah. <laughs> That's just I, I and and it's like I want to want to stress though. I do feel I'm just can kind of deserves it more <laughs> for just the fact that it works. You know? Yeah. But what was I made for? I understand those that say is the the song of the movie really. It is the Barbie song and it is and it's also just a beautiful song too. Um at the same time this is a past winner. Billie Eilish has already won and very recently she very well is going to win again, I think, for what was I made for. It also got nominated for 11 Grammy awards. This is pretty done, I think. Um and it also is just the kind of the song they go for. So I just feel like it's pretty done. David Oh yeah, what was I made for? For sure, it's gonna win. Um, I actually would prefer would prefer uh, the. What was I'm just Dan- No, no, the other one, Dance the Night or something like that. Oh, Dance the Night. Okay. Yeah, that's a good song too. Yeah, that one I really like. I just I'm just can. I mean, it's fun. <laughs> like I feel like I'll probably listen to that one more. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but it's just uh, it's a little bit too ridiculous, I think, for them to choose. So <laughs> yeah, knowing who they are, that makes the most amount of sense for sure. The next category we're going to go with is Best Original Score, and this one also is maybe not hard to predict, but also just kind of a bloodbath in the way that I want two people to win here, and they're not going to, it looks like. Well, let's see. Uh, Robbie Robertson for Killers of the Flower Moon, Daniel Pemberton for Across the Spider-Verse, um, Mika Levy, or Levi, for The Zone of Interest, Joe Hisaishi for The Boy and the Heron, Ludwig Gorenson for Oppenheimer, and then Jerskin Fendricks for Poor Things. <clears throat> It should. I think it's impressive when any animated movie can get in anywhere outside mm-hmm. of animated feature, and two of them got in here: Boy and the Heron and Spider Verse, and two of which I think are among the best scores of the whole year. I think ultimately, who should win here? <sighs> I think to me the best score of the year was by Daniel Pemberton. Hmm. At the same time, Joe Hisaishi has never won. This is his first nomination, which is crazy to me. This is a veteran that should be given something. At the same time, I mean, could, and, and, and could that manufacture in a win? Maybe. Unlikely, but maybe. But then you got the Oppenheimer score. Mm. And evidently, Ludwig hasn't won at the Globes before. So... I don't know. I, I, I'm i going to say Oppenheimer. That's just the safe choice. I would hope for a different choice, honestly. Um, but I'm just going to go with Oppenheimer because that just seems to be the one that people like the most. I think Oppenheimer is an amazing score. Um, and it would be a worthy win. I just happen to prefer both Spider-Verse and Boy and the Heron's scores to Oppenheimer. But that's just me. And mm-hmm. I'm not a voter. And these people are. And I would think that Oppenheimer is the one that's going to win here. David... Uh, I would like for Boyne Aaron to win, honestly. Um, if nothing else for Joe, he needs a win. So, I mean, this guy <laughs> has been doing scores years and he's a legend. He's mm. a legend. Yeah, but I mean, it's just that between that one and Across uh, the Spider-Verse. Um, Spider-Verse, I feel like the score worked well in terms of like, I don't know how to explain it, kind of. At least for Spider-Verse, I feel like I can listen to that one more by myself. Like, I can just mm. put it on in the car and, like, I can be thoroughly entertained and all that. But with Boyne Heron, though, I feel like 
the music doesn't work without the movie in a sense <laughs> mm. for me like you really do need to watch them you really need both of them together and they, they just work so well and if and i feel like they got the tone for what was what they were trying to do with it better if that makes sense i don't know I mean, it's just like, I mean, the moment when the heron shows up and you get like that close up of its eye and you just get like one note, literally just one thing. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, oh, I get you. <laughs> like, it was just this instant like click in my brain going like, I know what you're trying to do here. I know mm-hmm. what like, what kind of like world you're trying to bring into this. Like, and just in that moment, I'm not kidding. You. I know it sounds exaggerated or like pretentious or something. I don't know. But <laughs> like, but that's literally what happened in my brain. And then with, um, with Spider Verse again, like I, all the whole the whole score is very entertaining and everything, but I don't know. It's just I I think maybe the separation that the fact that I can listen to the score without the movie maybe makes it less for me. I Have guess. you tried listening to the Oppenheimer score without the movie? I haven't. I'll probably try it. See, to me, I'm a little bit different. Where I I go out of my way to listen to every score. Without the movie. Mm-hmm. So, and I think for for me anyway, they usually work outside of the film. Because to me, when I listen to the score, it rem- I can picture the movie in my head. And it, in, in a way, kind of reminds me, it even functions as a bit of a rewatch for me. Um, but yeah, this one's interesting. I could see it going a different way. I, I mean, I could see it being Oppenheimer. I could also, if Boy and the Heron wins animated feature, it might win here. If Spider-Man wins animated feature, it might win here. Be pretty funny if, let's say, Spider-Man and Boy and the Heron split and one wins one and one wins the other. Could happen. Um, not impossible, but I'm just going to go with Oppenheimer as the safe choice. But I would, I'll just go on the record saying I hope for somebody else to win. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll just say that. Um, next category is for... Um, best screenplay and I'm just going to say this right now Um, I'm thinking I'm looking at last year's Globes as a bit of a parallel because last year's Globes the Globes always award someone who ultimately may not end up winning best picture but I just feel like that's a good thing because I would like for different movies to win at different places you know as it should be I feel but on last year Everything Everywhere All at Once did not win screenplay, it did not win director, and it did not win picture, and ended up winning all three of those things at the Academy Awards. Last year was Banshees of Inisherin, and it was The Fablemans, and I was happy for both of those films because they didn't really register anywhere else after the fact. So, good for them. Hmm. But Fablemans won director and picture, and then Banshees won best actor, comedy, best screenplay from Martin McDonough, and best picture. And so I'm going to use those parallels as a bit of a guide here. And it, and it starts with this category for best screenplay. The nominees were Barbie, Poor Things, Oppenheimer, Flower Moon, Past Lives, and Anatomy of a Fall. Um, Oppenheimer could very easily win this. And if it wins this, at that point, it'll win director and it'll win picture. Flower Moon may, I don't think it will. Some people were saying maybe Barbie gets its only win outside, or maybe not only win. Because you could maybe say that Barbie will win box office, it'll win song, and maybe it'll take screenplay because uh, this is both honoring Greta Gerwig and her husband Noah Baumbach, who wrote this together. Mm. 
Some people suggest, well, maybe this is the only place they, they uh, honor Martin Scorsese and they'll give him Flower Moon uh, in, in screenplay. Mm, I could very easily see Oppenheimer winning here and then dominating the rest of the night. But I'm going to say, um, what movie here feels the most like Banshees? Poor Things. And they loved Poor Things. The script in this movie got a lot of nominees. So I'm going to say right now that um, uh, my prediction is Poor Things. Um, but if Oppenheimer wins, which very well could, watch out. Because it may just be a sweep mm-hmm. if that's the case. Um, any thoughts on that? Uh, that one I'm just not, not sure of. Um, I mean, it would have to be between Oppenheimer and Killers for me. Mm. Mm. But if anything, I'll probably say Killers, probably. Okay. Killers. All right. And that very well could win. Uh, Next one. This should be pretty easy. Best Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture, Willem Dafoe, Poor Things, Robert De Niro, Flower Moon, RDJ, Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling, Barbie, Charles Melton, May December, and Mark Ruffalo, Poor Things. RDJ, right? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it would be pretty shocking if it wasn't him. And if it wasn't him, watch all of those people that do this Oscar punditry are going to be like, uh-oh, they're going to be they're going to be calling, basically dethroning him as a frontrunner or somebody else wins. It would be pretty bad mm. for him from a publicity standpoint if he lost here. But I just think to me, um, this is where he wins, RDJ. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to tell you, I'm a little bit conflicted about how many wins I'm going to... I feel like Oppenheimer... I think Oppenheimer has the potential to win screenplay, supporting actor, score, director, and picture. And that might very well happen. And there are people who are saying that will happen. But I think to me, the Globes spread things around pretty well. And I'm thinking... I'm already giving Oppenheimer two. I'm going to say this. It would not surprise me, and in fact, I'm feeling that that movie might not be the one that ends up being on top at the end of the night. But for right here, I think RDJ is pretty comfortable in winning. There. Any other thoughts on that one? No, yeah. I agree. (laughs) Okay. Um, The next category is for actor in a drama, I believe. Best... um, Oh, no. I'm sorry. The next category will be for um, Best Male Actor in a Motion Picture Comedy or Musical. Jeffrey Wright in American Fiction, Joaquin Phoenix, Bo Was Afraid, Paul Giamatti The Holdovers, Matt Damon Air, Timothy Chalamet for Wonka, and Nicolas Cage for Dream Scenario. Um... When it comes to this, you just go off of the one you most likely believe is going to be a Best Picture nominee. The only one I see here... Well, there's two. There's American Fiction and The Holdovers. I think The Holdovers is more like than American Fiction, Mm -hmm. and so I'm going to go with Paul Giamatti. It just seems like the kind of performance that also would win. What do you think? Um, No, yeah, out of all of those, I think Paul Giamatti... Deserves it the most. Um, I don't know why, but I feel like American fiction. I feel like she went. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie, but like, <laughs> I don't know why. For some reason, kind of oh, like. It's a comedy, sure. Yeah. Right? Um, 
But ultimately, I'm not sure how much value these names on these categories have. It's just more of like, it, it really is a popularity contest, yeah. as, you know, at the end of the day. Um, best male actor in a motion picture, Bradley Cooper and Maestro, Leonardo DiCaprio, Flower Moon, Coleman Domingo and Rustin, Barry Keoghan and Saltburn, Killian Murphy uh, for Oppenheimer and Andrew Scott for All of Us Strangers. I feel like to me, this comes down to two. It comes down to Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer, and it comes down to Bradley Cooper in Maestro. Who deserves this? Killian Murphy. Mm-hmm. He could win. And if he wins here, that would be pretty pretty big news for him um, going forward. It it just feels, though, that um, considering that Maestro did very well with the nominations, it is the kind of movie they love. This is the only place I see it winning. And I think it might be here. I think it might, and it also is the star power of Bradley Cooper. He has been campaigning. Killian Murphy has not. Mm. Just looking at how the race usually goes, I think it might be Cooper. Even though I feel strongly Killian should win. Your thoughts? Um, no, yeah. Um, we'll see the ones I only still remember <laughs> much about their performance, <laughs> but uh, Killian Murphy for sure. Mm hmm. Uh, best female actor in a comedy or musical Fantasia for the color purple Jennifer Lawrence No Hard Feelings Natalie Portman May December Alma Poitier Fallen Leaves Margot Robbie Barbie and Emma Stone Poor Things Emma Stone right mm, yeah probably her uh, I just I think I only watched Barbie so I don't really know about the rest but I feel like probably Emma Stone is just gonna be uh, a shoe in yeah she's well loved and that's the movie and that would mean that that would be the combination because that's, to me, and this is my spoiler, I guess, for what I think ultimately best picture comedy. I'm going to predict poor things for best picture comedy and best actress comedy and then best screenplay. That's the same trajectory that Banshee has had. <clears throat> Not this, basically the same package. So I could be very mistaken, um, but I'm... I'm I feel like Poor Things is the kind of movie they would really respond to. So I can I can really see Emma Stone winning here. Maybe Margot Robbie, but I I, I, I doubt it, honestly. Um, the next one was for um, Best Supporting Female Actor, or Best Female Actor in a Supporting Role. Uh, Emily Blunt Oppenheimer. Danielle Brooks, The Color Purple, Jodie Foster, Naya, Julianne Moore, May December, Rosamund Pike for Saltburn, and Divine Joy Randolph, The Holdovers. This is the category where I think we might see a surprise because, look, I'm going to say my prediction is Divine Joy Randolph because she's the only one that's been winning. And she's been (coughs) sweeping the the critics' prizes. I've been talking too much. This is why I'm coughing. Um, It's a (coughs) matter. Yeah. But, um... I don't know. Honestly, I think Divine. Maybe Danielle. Maybe Jodie Foster. Maybe Rosamund Pike. I could see any one of those four winning. I'll, I'm, I'm going to default to the frontrunner, Divine Joy Randolph for the holdovers. Yeah. But, um, but I, 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 I'm not feeling that confident in her winning. 
but it just could be a weak category. I'll just go with her. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, to me, it's really criminal that Taraji P. Henson is not in this category for the color purple. She should be here. She should win. Mm. It's not happening. I mean, the only two that there from I saw was Emily Blunt, Oppenheimer, and Holdovers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would at first I was like, oh yeah, Emily Blunt will probably win it. But then you mentioned Holdovers, and I'm like, oh no, yeah. she deserves it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Divine is great. Mm-hmm. So she would definitely be someone who uh, would deserve that. Um, the next category that we're going to go to is for best female actor in a motion picture drama, Annette Benning, Nyad, Lily Gladstone, Flower Moon, Sandra Cooler, Anatomy of a Fall, Greta Lee in Past Lives, Carrie Mulligan in Maestro, and Kaylee Spaney in um, Priscilla. Mm. They liked Anatomy of a Fall a lot. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of nominations. She could pull off a surprise win here. Sandra Holler. That film does have its fans. Greta Lee from Past Lives, that movie also got a lot of nominations. She could pull off an upset here. However, Lily Gladstone, from a movie that got more nominations than both of those other two, and who has been winning a lot of the recent critics' prizes... I'm thinking she probably is the one that we would presume to win the most. And I have her um, winning here. But it would not shock me if it ended up going to Sandra or Greta. Yeah. Sounds like it's... Yeah, Sadia? I was going to say, it's honestly a toss between Anatomy of Law and um, Colors. Between Mm -hmm. those two. For sure, man. Um... And then the final ones, best uh, best picture comedy musical air, American fiction, Barbie, The Holdovers, May December, and Poor Things. Um, Holdovers didn't do that well. It, it missed screenplay and it missed director. So I don't see that one winning. I do not see May December winning. I don't see American Fiction winning because that also missed screenplay. I don't see Air winning. It's either Barbie or it's Poor Things, and I'm going to go with Poor Things. I think that's yeah. going to have more wins, and I think it's the likelier to win. I think that's just pretty conventional. Yeah. And then um, Best Director, the nominees for that were um, Bradley Cooper and Maestro, Greta Gerwig, Barbie, Yorgos Lanthimos, Poor Things, Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer, Martin Scorsese, Flower Moon and Celine's song Past Lives. Everyone will tell you that this is the one that's a lock, and that would be for Nolan in Oppenheimer. Um, the one thing that gives me pause is the fact that this was one of the few places last year that went against conventional wisdom. That instead of awarding the Daniels like everybody else was, they awarded Spielberg for the Fablemans. On top of the fact that Martin Scorsese has won here four times, and he's won for films like, I believe, Gangs of New York and Hugo. I don't think it is really... I'll tell you this. It's not the odds-on favorite, but I'm just going to go ahead and put myself out there. I'm going to predict Scorsese um, for a director. Because hmm. I really do think they liked Flower Moon. 
And I think that's a movie they really responded to more than Oppenheimer. A little bit more. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see when the, when the winners are announced. But it's just a guess. That's all that we, we can really, I guess, put at this. But I'm going to say that um, Scorsese wins for Flower Moon. And with Lily Gladstone, that would give the movie two wins. And this is where Best Picture Drama is a bit of a conundrum. Because I want to say... Well, the nominees are Anatomy of a Fall, Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, and Zone of Interest. To me, it seems like a no-brainer. Oppenheimer, 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 Oppenheimer. But if you give Scorsese director, how are you not going to give Flower Moon picture? Mm-hmm. And last year, it was um, Spielberg won director, and then he won picture. There usually seems to be a symbiotic relationship between that. Um, but it could be Scorsese wins director, but Oppenheimer wins picture. Here are the telltale signs. If we get to the point where... Um, uh, if Killian Murphy wins best actor, it might be an Oppenheimer sweep. If Oppenheimer wins screenplay, that is a, 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 a telltale sign that it'll win director and picture. It could be that maybe Oppenheimer wins. No, I think if it wins screenplay, it's it's getting director and it's getting picture. Um, but Flower Moon, I, I think you can have Lily, Marty, and then picture ultimately. Um. But it's hard because I it really I think to me these predictions are they're going to become pretty clear as the night happens and what we see is winning and what we see is losing. Um, here's what gives me pause: I can see them giving Flower Moon director and picture, but am I really going to have Oppenheimer only wins for score and RDJ? <laughs> So I'm nervous about that because mm-hmm. Oppenheimer is a strong film and you'd think that it would do very well, but not for nothing. The movie that won best picture last year only won two things here last year. And that was for, um, Ki Hui Kwan and, uh, Michelle Yeoh. It got nothing else at mm-hmm. the Golden Globes. <laughs> so now it's hard. It, it, it just depends on how well Poor Things is doing. I think if Poor Things is doing how I expect it to, um, then Oppenheimer is vulnerable. But if Oppenheimer wins like a lot of things early on, then that's a different situation. But I'm going to go with Flower Moon as my prediction for picture. But that it could also be that Flower Moon wins picture and then Nolan wins director. It's a hard thing to really kind of parse through until you're actually there that night. Your thoughts on, on all this babble that I'm talking about, <laughs> if that's even making any sense. <laughs> no, I get it. But I mean, ultimately for me, um, I would like for Nolan to win Best Director and mm. Killers to win Best Picture. See, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people feel the way you do. And can you help me make sense of that? Because I feel like it makes sense the other the other way. Hmm. I feel like Oppenheimer is the movie of the year, and that one should win picture. 
but I do feel Flower Moon is the best directed of the year. And I think that, and it also happens to be Marty. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's your rationale behind why Flower Moon should win picture and Oppenheimer should win director? Um, I think it just depends what you like. I guess your definition, I guess, of director. Sure. <clears throat> because you know, I, I mentioned. I think Zack Snyder is a good director. He can make mm-hmm. inter- interesting shots. He has an idea of like how he wants his movies to look and everything. Mm-hmm. And so with Nolan, I mean, he went beyond just the look of the movie. I mean, details and not just the score, but also in the sound effects, that scene where they're taking away the visual the- effects, no CG, <laughs> no CG. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not just, not just, not just that, but like, you know, the scene where they take away the bomb and you hear the chains rattling on the box and you see, you still hear it like way past, uh, like when it's far, far gone. But then also, you know, the one where you hear the stomping of people's feet in the beginning of the movie. And then later on, you find out like that one, you just don't get a good sound designer. To do that, like you have to, he must have thought of that from the very beginning of like what exactly he wanted to put beginning, middle, of end, and end to really like build up to certain moments. And I feel like for that, he deserves to be um, nominated. I mean, he deserves to win great director. Now, for um, Flower Moon, Flower Moon, him, you know, I'll. A lot of great visual um, moments in that in that movie and everything, but he just I, he just didn't go at that level of no, what Nolan did really, and that's the only reason why I think Nolan should win. He really thought this thought thought out his movie through and like executed it well. I, I mean, it's, and it's not to knock down Scorsese or anything like that. Like he is still a good director. The reason why I think he should win for Best Picture is because of his direction and like visual eye and everything i felt something with his visuals mm. that scene where the grandmother dies and then you see and it's just a forest in the background it's silent and like that was one moment that i just wanted to stay in it you know like i it, i'm not kidding like it almost took my breath away <laughs> of like how that looked and I, you don't really get that with um oppenheimer you know, I think the only moment I think people will argue is the part where the bomb goes off, <laughs> you know, where, yeah, yeah, it's silent and everything. It's kind of intense. You're waiting for the, the sound and everything. But that was just more intensity. I didn't really feel emotional about it. I wasn't really like, oh, my gosh, they made uh, uh, what's what's the line um, for I am death or something like that. Or <laughs> like you just uh, um now I'm destroyer of worlds yeah. for I'm become death. Yeah. It's like, it does nothing about that. Like made me feel as emotional as what Nolan did with his, um, no, not Nolan, um, Scorsese did with his movie. And especially the ending of, uh, flower moon. Um, where, um, Scorsese, you see him <laughs> in the movie and he gives off the eulogy yeah. of the main uh, uh, Molly. Yeah. Uh, Molly, Molly. And then it just cuts to her people. right to me it's like like you don't you don't whatever i felt i did not feel that for no uh, for oppenheimer and that's why it deserves Mm. best picture especially because at the end of it a movie should make you feel something (laughs) yeah yeah to me uh i I agree with you completely (laughs) i think to me that that last scene in flower moon was the moment of cinema 2023 the most powerful moment Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like that that should be recognized in some way. I would be very disappointed if Flower Moon only won for Lily Gladstone. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it should at least win either screenplay or directing or picture one of those. Not all of them, but one of those. And I think it will. It's just depending on how it's going to fall. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that was a very astute observation. I, I, I agree that Oppenheimer is the more, uh, I guess, directing achievement, if you will. And if that's how we're going to put it in that context, that usually ends up winning. Um um with uh with these crowds um but i guess we'll see and i guess uh, if anyone's listening to this podcast well uh, you already know because the awards are happening um at the very time mm-hmm. <laughs> that this would probably be put up there but anyway uh we're gonna go ahead and end things off here for today we'll have more in-depth reviews on these films that we mentioned here when we have more people who have seen them and of course we'll keep you posted on how award season is going and what other movies we see here on red spotlight we have another great year planned for you in 2024 thank you so much david uh, thank you all here for listening stay on our spotlight for more content and more and we will see you all next time bye-bye bye bye